you're about to listen to Brittle Star's really great podcast. The really great podcast is fueled by our well-caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. It's a it's kind of a misnomer because there's no actual club to join. They just they make like they they make coffee. There's no club, so don't don't get your hopes up. They make delicious compostable coffee pods that you can find at retailers across Canada, like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco. And they're Canadian too, eh? If you're not into coffee, sorry. Hi, Brittlestar here. You're listening to my really great podcast. Each episode, I sit down and have a chat with someone I think is pretty cool. I think you'll think they're pretty cool too. And today we're talking to... My name is Jean Yoon. Um, I'm an actor and writer, a theater artist, mom, uh, and most recently uh, best known as Mrs. Kim on the Kim's Convenience. I act, I cook, I clean, I take care of a dog, a cat, a teenage boy who's almost an adult. And uh, when I'm walking my dog, I randomly and obsessively pull weeds out of public parks. <laughs> it's true. I, I Sometimes I ask that question and I, I mean, I have to say like everyone that I've, that I've chatted to on this podcast has been fairly established, you know, successful people like yourself. And sometimes they come on and I ask that question and they kind of justify what they're doing. They sort of feel like I'm, I don't know, like I'm their dad or something. They're like, they'd be like, no, but it's a real job. Uh, whereas you, I think have told me an awful lot about what you do. And, it, and it's, it's like, you're overqualified to talk to me for now. It's just, it's so fun. It's, uh, What's really weird for me is that coming to know you from, of course, from Kim's Convenience, which is everywhere, and seeing you as the character, uh, as the mom, as Uma, and it was like, well, this is really cool. But then, most recently, I was reminded of the Yoko Ono project. I was like, oh, God, it's the same person. I hadn't really made that connection. So then I was like, oh, wow, she's a bit of a badass. And then I started following you on Twitter. Well, I was following you on Twitter, and I would see your stuff you'd post, and be like, oh, no, she is just a straight-up badass. That's basically what she is. Yeah, I tried to keep it quiet at the beginning of Kim's. I, they just <laughs> like, oh, she just came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was me naked on the cover of Now in 2000. Like, Simu gets all this, like, oh, my God, he's not wearing a shirt. But meanwhile, Oma was like, you know, had her bare bum out to the world in, in January 2000. <laughs> well, see, I, was, I wasn't even going to bring that up because I, I didn't want to like go straight for the salaciousness of it. But I mean, it's, it's funny because that was a big deal. I remember at the time, and that's one of the things that connected is I was like, oh, yeah, I totally yeah. remember this. Yeah. But uh, it, it's, it's funny because as far as like striking contrast go, it's like, oh, no, there's, I mean, it's a testament to how good you are as an actor, I guess, is the fact that oh, I, I was like, oh, I didn't make, the, didn't make the connection whatsoever. Did you start off acting or because you were just like a writer first or did you go into acting? What did you do? Um, I, I fell in love with acting in high school and I was also falling in love with, with writing and I was doing a lot of poetry and short stories back then. And so I did, you know, in college, I, I mean, I wanted to go to drama school, but there was... Even my drama teacher's like, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> what a terrible um, teacher! I, I mean, <laughs> well, no, they they were they were being honest in 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 terms the 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 the, um, the industry was really not a a welcoming place for minority actors at the time. There were really no opportunities, and um, I I could have pretty much done whatever I wanted. My mother was really pressing me to go into law and and that kind of thing, and but. Um, I started doing, okay, my dad was a professor at U of T, so my tuition was free. I mean, he had to pay 
tax on it. But um, so I would take all these courses and then I'd, I'd audition for a show on campus, get it, and I'd drop a bunch of courses. <laughs> so it took me forever to graduate. But basically, I got a my theater education was was uh, essentially on top of the high school, which was a really good program, but um, was like working on all these shows on campus. And then, so I did uh, a couple of semi-professional shows in the early 80s when I was like 19, 20, 21. Like I was in the Dream in the Park the second year they did it, the year that they branded it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did the Canadian premiere of uh, Fresh Off the Boat, Mm -hmm. uh, FOB, that play by David Henry Huang, the OB award-winning play. Um, But then... I, I quit and I I um I went back to school. I studied Mandarin. I taught English in China. I studied Korean, and um, and then somehow I ended up back in theater, mostly as a playwright and a new play development producer. And um, yeah, so it was a weird, funny journey. Well, what brought you back to theater? Like, why did you decide to come back to theater? Especially coming back to theater in the case of like, I mean, I, you speak to people who are theater actors and stage actors and and even like just live performers in general. And there's like that rush of, uh, you know, performing and and being in front of people and all that kind of stuff. But you to come back and go, I'm, I like this, but I want to be a playwright instead of an actor. Yeah. Did you like, did you make a big conscious decision to be like, oh, and I'm not going to act anymore. I'm just going to write stuff instead. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I, well, I thought I can't, there's no, there's no place. It's not going to be, it's not doable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was focusing on the writing. But then I, when I came back from my second trip to China, I ended up working at Theatre Ontario and, and I was a, basically an advocate. I was hired as cross-cultural coordinator for Theatre Ontario. And I, in the course of learning what I needed to learn to, to help other theatre artists, mm-hmm. other minority theatre artists and theatre groups, I, I, I um, basically found all the tools to, to do my own work and also the hope to do my own work. So I did start writing again. And I, mostly I st- when I start, started back as an actor because we couldn't find uh, other Asian female actors mm-hmm. old enough. So I was playing moms. Uh, my first mom was when I was just 30 because right. <laughs> we could not find anybody. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd have like that. I mean, it's funny coming at it from my perspective as like this, you know, straight white suburban weirdo. Um, it's funny <laughs> to think of like, it's not funny, but I mean, it is really, you have, I have to kind of pause every now and then and go, oh yeah, that's right. Like you even just, you saying now, there was just no point in going into acting. Like it was, there's no market essentially for what you were offering. Um, and it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking because it seems like, and I know it's still an issue obviously now, but I mean, as far as like, you know, not being white, uh, but it seems like hopefully it's moving in the right direction. Is it moving in the right? I mean, obviously you must have played a huge part in that. It's, it's moving in the right direction, but it is bumpy. And, Mm. um, and I, you know, when you get together with a whole bunch of other Asian artists, there's, there's a lot of sort of consternation about why, despite, our our um, numbers here in Canada, we're not able to mobilize more, right? Because if you if you, if you actually look at at Canada demographically, East Asians collectively are pretty much the like a, the largest group uh, when you compare it to say the Black community, the South Asian community. Um, East Asians collectively are the largest group, but we're not able. We haven't been. We're only able to sort of mobilize as a as a as a whole 
in spurts, and because you have the Chinese community, and that's splintered into the the mainland Chinese, and they're splintered in the Mandarin-speaking Chinese, and that's split into Taiwan and mainland, and then the Hong Kong Chinese, and then you go way back there, the, the ha- people who speak Hakka and Toisanese, and then you have the Koreans, and the Filipinos, and the Japanese, and the Vietnamese, and you know, there's a huge um, diversity in the in the East Asian community, and it's difficult sometimes to have a collective to get everybody to move in the same direction at the same time. So that's frustrating. But uh, overall, yes, there's there's movement forward. Um, but it's still really there are still areas in our industry that uh, Asian artists have had a great deal of difficulty penetrating, and that's in the writers' room, showrunners, producers. Um, and yeah, we're, 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 we're at the beginning of, of a, of a big change, but it, it feels like it's taken forever. It's that notion that you're kind of carrying that with you all the time that I think is probably most or hard to perceive, I think, for someone who doesn't have to go through that, um, who said, I mean, really, I mean, look at me. I started social media when I was a boy because <laughs> I was 43 years old. I mean, come on. I basically fell. When I was 19, I fell off a cliff. I probably could have just fell up the cliff. That should have been enough. Uh, but it's, oh, ah. it's, uh, it's, and I was just fishing for compliments there. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Oh, any artist, you're brilliant and funny. And as I said, just before we started is that combination of like that your ability to take a really dark subject and and bring clarity and levity at the same time it's really really delightful well i appreciate um, that and again yeah. i was, I you, was you, you got me through some dark moments in, in this last year and a half oh, well, that's really nice to hear <laughs> sitting there laughing out loud of, huh that's really nice to hear i think that that's uh and you must have the same experience as well. I mean, I, I remember, you know, people being asked, or rather, people asking me, uh, you know, what's the what's the best thing about doing your doing the videos or, or doing what I do? And uh, my answer is always like, when I, when I get people telling me, oh, your your videos got me through a hard time, or you know, as a family, we would share these back and forth or something like that. And it's like that's super motivating. But you must add tons of that stuff happening to you as well. People coming up saying thank you for doing this or you know getting you through or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 hard to believe sometimes. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming, but it's it's really gratifying to know that um I mean, I know what it was like to grow up without any any images and representations of of myself and my family mm-hmm. and and how bewildering that is. So it's really gratifying to have people come up to me, especially the the especially the young people and and sometimes like it'll be whole families and that's really really satisfying because um yeah it 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 can it it can shift uh someone's perspective about themselves so profoundly so that's 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 pretty cool <laughs> 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 See, I haven't had that. I have never had the experience of uh, another uh, middle-aged white guy coming up to me and saying, "Hey, listen, buddy, it's just nice to see more of us on screen." No one has ever said that to me. <laughs> oh, it's gonna happen! It's gonna happen! It's gonna happen! Exactly! <laughs> it's gonna happen! <laughs> exactly. So, thank God I'm here doing what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Keep that representation yeah. of white middle-aged dudes. Oh, thank God. Um, I love how you're able to satirize that your, yourself, though, and, that, and satirize like and turn it into a political comment. I, I think it's that's I I really appreciate. That. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you, know? you have to. I think that's yeah. one of the things that the pandemic taught me was that because uh, I would have like moments. I would call them pandemic wobbles, where I would have these like essentially anxiety attacks that might last. 
an afternoon. They might last two days. Um, where I would just kind of be like, I get those too. Oh, like totally. Like you just, you feel like you're never going to get out of it. It's feeling like it's never going to stop. You're feeling like you can't do anything. You feel like everything's out of control. And I probably just, yeah. I'm listening back to this. I'll probably set myself into another anxiety attack. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, I could say to people, you don't realize how dark the pandemic was and still is for a lot of places, like certainly looking West. Um, but you, you have to kind of like, you can't live like that. You have to like, okay, let's pull back and take a deep breath and, you know, try to make fun of things. But I think that, you know, the comedy is so important and you're such a, like your timing, certainly watching you on Kim's, like your timing is amazing. And, uh, it, it, it just like, you just deliver these lines and deadpan and stuff. And it's so good. And it's usually around, you know, these issues that might be, you know, Maybe not the funniest issues in the world, but I think it's it's phenomenally important to poke fun at that kind of stuff, and to be self aware, I guess as well. Yeah, I, well, I think it's I think what's really important is that we give it ourselves permission to see the truth and then laugh mm-hmm. to release. There's something about laughter. You literally release toxins, right? Yeah. Uh, whenever you laugh, you're expelling you know extra carbon dioxide plus everything else and probably little spores of cortisol. Um, <laughs> So any 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 opportunity to laugh is uh, a good healthy laugh. It, it is is uh, it. I think the other thing about laughter is that it actually gives people the opportunity to accept things that are really hard and dark. Mm-hmm. There's something about yeah. I don't know the oh the pandemic anxiety attacks man. Yeah. Like oh, it's just the, yeah. That and and I think that's why I started. I took up. Uh, pulling up weeds in the park. Yeah, it's it's verging on <laughs> that's verging on crazy lady behavior. You know that, right? <laughs> I know. Oh no, I am. I've gone full crazy lady. Okay. Look, yes. You know what I was doing last night, <laughs> Stuart? You know what I was doing last night? I went out and took a photo of this. This there's this spot on Parliament Street on the grass right. near where I live, where a dead raccoon has been. There was a dead raccoon. There's a raccoon that died mm. in the August heat wave. Oh. Belly up. And 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 we call three one one. Nobody came to pick it up. Now it's flattened and desiccated, and there's a poster on top of no. it. It's more than a month later, and I took a picture of it and wrote the city saying, um, "This is a photo of a. <laughs> uh, this just looks like a poster, but there's actually a desiccated oh. raccoon oh. here. And could you please come clean it up?" <laughs> Like I've gone full crazy lady. Well, that's just you're just doing your civic duty. I mean, I think that's good. I think that part's okay. I think it's just stopping randomly and picking up weeds is questionable. I don't know. the The parks look pretty good right now. <laughs> only the only the parks that you've been to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> was that? I mean, you also before we started recording, you had uh, you had uh, some tech support from a uh, cat and a dog as well, which you told me you just mm-hmm. you just recently got, and the dog first, and then yeah. the cat. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've always had cats, but but our our, our cat uh, Lucy died just before the pandemic. Right. And then it was really hard to get a dog because I'd been actually thinking about getting a dog for a number of years. But uh, Kiki came in March. I mean, Emma came in March, our, our rescue puppy, mm-hmm. who's now like almost 50 pounds. And then um, and then my son and I both missed having a cat, and he really wanted his own pet. So uh, Kiki came about three, four weeks ago. And they get along great, but it's hilarious because Kiki's really tiny. She's like 10-week-old kitten, 11-week-old kitten, and mm-hmm. she's like 
glommed onto Emma's face and is <laughs> sucking on Emma's face. <laughs> Meanwhile, Emma gets very offended whenever Kiki goes like on the table or on a shelf, like someplace where she's not allowed to go. And she's like, get down from there. You're not supposed to be up there. Animals are not supposed to be up there. So it's a... Uh, if you hear any barking, that's what it's about. It's, it's Emma going, you're going to get in trouble because animals are not supposed to go there. See, we're heading back into the crazy lady territory right now because your cat, does your cat speak in real life or not so much in real life? This is what you're imagining the cat to say. Well, this is the dog talking. Oh, that's the dog uh, talking. Sorry, uh, I made my mistake. Yes, <laughs> you said the dog was a rescue as well. Where's the dog from? Uh, she's from Antigua. Oh. Yeah. So. Uh, is that yeah. uh, is that Antigua? Antigua is that Spanish or is that uh, Portuguese? Well, I know, but is yeah. it the, the the language they speak in Antigua? I don't know. Mm. You see, I was going to make a whole joke about the dog with an accent, but then I I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what language they speak, so I I can't. So we're just going to turn the fact she that I couldn't make treat. it. <laughs> treat. Give me a treat. Is that a treat? Do you have treats? Hey, where are the treats? <laughs> So what else have you been doing throughout to the past uh, little bit? Like what's, what's been going on with you? What's exciting? Um, I sort of feel like a lot of this pandemic, I, I, I've sort of decided I'm taking a sabbatical. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. I've been, um, I've been, I've been studying Korean like crazy. Right. I've been trying to be a better Korean. So, uh, and actually making quite a bit of progress because, uh, there's a lot of, uh, really accessible resources for studying now that weren't around when I when I was learning like 20 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So and 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 I've been watching a lot of Korean dramas mostly about ghosts and afterlife and and revenge stories and stuff like that there and and comedies. What's amazing about the about Korea is that um well, first of all, for those who don't know, uh you were born in the states but grew up in Canada, correct? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's funny. It might be surprising for some people when you say, oh, I'm learning Korean. It's like, well, you don't know. It seems like you already know it. Why? Just if you, they just know you from <laughs> Kim's. It's like, well, obviously she knows it. Um, but what's amazing about Korea to me is like how much of a powerhouse it is as far as pop culture goes, like just in general. Yeah. And it's yeah. so, so far reaching as well. Like there's, it's funny. There's a, there's a, there's some twin sisters. This sounds like it's going to be a dirty joke. I mean, it's not. There's some twin sisters down in Florida, and uh, they, uh, well, one's in Pennsylvania, one's in Florida, and they watch uh, our, I, we do a live stream, my wife and I, Shannon, do a live stream on Fridays, and they watch this live stream, and the one of the sisters is like, a, anything Korean, like this woman is the whitest white woman in Florida, Florida woman you'd ever seen in your life. And she like lives for K-pop, lives for Korean films, lives like it's, it's, but it's amazing. She's not alone, obviously. There's like, people are just, it seems yeah. to be, even though there's, it's like one of the only things that seems to have trans, mm, I was going to say transverse. I don't know if that's the right word, uh, but has been able to get over those language boundaries and people are like, yeah, I don't care. I'll, I'll listen to it. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll watch yeah. it, which is amazing. I don't know. Why is that? It's amazing. Well, I, the, th- the thing is this wave of, of, of Korean cultural products, whether it's the music like BTS and the boys band and, yeah. and the whole K-pop industry, or whether it's the, the, the dramas and the movies, and also the art, is, is this is the result of um, a, a really long-term commitment from the Korean government to create what they call a Hanyu, a Korean wave. Mm-hmm. 
So they did a massive investment in Korean cultural infrastructure, and the the you know hosting the Olympics was all part of that plan too to basically uh, rise up from the ashes of of the devastation of the Korean War to 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 showcase Korean culture in all its magnificence to really develop it. So. Uh, there's a very strong kind of cultural political agenda underneath all of the uh, uh, the mu- music and the movies and the songs and the TV shows, and a lot of pride too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. Um, uh, I think there are certain Korean values that are that come out in the in the in in the work that uh, I think are really welcome right now, which is basically. Anti-corruption, that's a big theme, and and um, certain values about community and um, and um, dignity and a real... We don't see the same kind of anti-heroes in Korean movies and, and television. Sorry, the dog and the cat are like, Stop it, you guys! <laughs> so I think <laughs> I think that's that's part of it. Like, one of the things I love about Korean television... Um, is, you know, the, I, I personally, I, I'm, I, I need to find someone who can actually answer this question, but I'm convinced that there must be some incentive that was, that was a- available for, for TV producers to showcase Korean food. Yeah. Because you see TV shows where they'll actually basically create a, like a one-minute start to finish, this is how this meal is cooked, with its own music track and mm-hmm. it's all these beauty shots of food and I'm convinced they must have. It's it's like 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 product placement, right? And yeah. you get this amount of money if you if you showcase a Korean dish. <laughs> it makes me hungry. <laughs> well, they've done a really good job, and it's funny because as as we're talking about that, and of course, just chatting about, it, I'm just generally curious because you have an interest in Korea. I'm assuming your folks are Korean, and uh, yeah, and it, but it's the same. As you're answering that question, I'd be like, this is like someone talking to me about my parents are Scottish, like talking about Scottish culture. And nobody's like, I don't feel a responsibility to that at all. And I always feel kind of bad when I'm talking to friends who aren't white and, and I sit, we talk about things. I'm like, oh, you know, I sort of, sort of like a caveat. You don't have to carry all this. You don't, it's, you don't, you don't have to answer any of this stuff. You don't have to talk about it. <laughs> and it's just at the same time, you want to balance it. But at the same time, you're like, I don't, ah, I don't, you don't. I remember a good friend of mine uh, when the, uh, uh, the whole Trudeau uh, blackface thing was coming out and there was like one picture and it's like, oh, yeah. that's terrible. Then there's another picture. It's like, oh, that's terrible. Thank God there's only two. And like, oh, well, there's more. It was just ridiculous. And it was really, it was like, I remember doing a video. I mean, I like Trudeau, but it was like, come on, man. Yeah. Uh, but a good friend of mine, uh, her family is, is from Jamaica and she's black and she's like, remember she, she was at our house afterwards and she's like, oh my God, if one more person in the office comes up and asks me how I feel about this, I will lose my mind. <laughs> and it's I like, know. You yeah. yeah, I just, I can't imagine carrying that kind of weight, cultural weight all the time. Yeah. You mean you, you you think you wouldn't be able to handle endless questions about Robbie Burns Day and, and how do you wear a kilt? <laughs> and Billy Connolly. What's your how thoughts on Billy Connolly? How do you feel Connolly? about haggis, Stuart? <laughs> do you like your haggis? <laughs> Are you okay with that? Are you okay with the fact that they just you cook okay? it in the animal's own stomach? Is that what's, is, are you okay with that? <laughs> is that the kind of world you want to live in? <laughs> yeah. yeah there's, there's a Korean dish that's an awful lot like haggis, by the way. It's called sundae. 
It's a, a, a rice. It's a they rice and blood sausage. Yeah. Well, it's. But I mean, it's just. I mean, it's like it's food created on a dare, as Mike Myers said, right? It's like it's just. It's that's basically <laughs> what it is. And it sounds like when you start to what's which leads me to the next thing actually about what was interesting about yeah. uh, Kim's is that I would watch it, and initially I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard of the play. I'm gonna watch the show. And then getting into the show, and it's like, oh God, this is just like this is speaking to me because my parents were immigrants, and even though they mm. were you know white Scottish immigrants, it was like, oh, this is actually like I I know how those you know how those kids feel uh, because and I know you're sort of expl- constantly they're learning the culture as you are growing <laughs> up in the culture, which is fantastic, and I think that was one of the really appealing parts about that, and that's one of the things you really translated well was you were basically your character was basically uh, my mother when she was young, except Korean. So, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, but again, no one's like, no one's coming up asking, what are your thoughts on Robbie Burns? <laughs> no one's saying that. No one's saying, you know, no one's asking. What do you I just did. Well, I think that's true. <laughs> and see, I had no answer. See? <laughs> did you ever get involved in, uh, I feel, before I talk to people, so... I try to. I sort of have a, usually have like in my mind. I have an idea of like what they're going to be like. And uh, most recently, uh, I chatted with the with Brent Butt and Nancy Robertson, who are exceptionally lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my mind beforehand, I had totally built them up. And and there's a little clip on that was put out as well that said, you know, I, they were like the Jay Z and Beyonce. Like they were going to be so standoffish. I don't know why, but they were going to be really, really standoffish and. Really kind of, and the one thing I was right about, they're not standoffish at all, uh, was that uh, I'd pegged uh, Nancy as like a very improv style comic and Brent as a very written comic. And that was, that turned out to be accurate. For you, I have, first of all, the badass thing that was pretty evident. And I feel pretty confident that it's, it stands. <laughs> uh, but then, secondly, uh, I, for some reason, I feel like you might have been involved in music at some point. Were you ever? Music? Not really. Uh, dance was. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, gymna- yeah. I, I mean, I could sing, and I, I, I did a bunch of shows that had music and singing in it. But um, I didn't have of all of the performance disciplines. My, I'm weakest in music. I think in in terms of uh, education. Um, I mean, I, I played B flat clarinet in high school. Yeah, same. Me too. Music, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. Three oh, years. Cool. Three I'm pretty years sure of... I couldn't play it now. I'm no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I did three years too. Yeah. I've I've got my son's uh, alto sax in the closet. I've been th- I've been thinking. Well, maybe I should try it out, and you know, but haven't done it. But no, I used to do a lot of dance, and I trained as a gymnast when I was young. So like, mm-hmm. the first bunch of theater gigs I did, you know, the directors had me doing cartwheels and and stunts across the stage and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you can hear that, but that's my son's Totoro alarm clock. Oh, nice. I can hear anything. Yeah, I can barely hear it, but it's just adding flavor to the conversation. It's fun. It's going quack, 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 quack. <laughs> maybe I should just, maybe we should just pause and I should go get him to turn it off. Sure. Oh, wait, it's off now. Okay, it's that's off. Off. Okay. all good. Hey. All right. Um, so music, for some reason I had pegged you as, as being involved in music. I was going to ask you, that's what I was going to say, when you are saying about uh, auditions and stuff, one thing that fascinates me about actors uh, is the whole audition process. Um, mm. it's, it's, first of all, it's bonkers to me. 
I think it's it's so soul crushing uh, from an, an outside perspective. Um, I know that our youngest son Gregor, when he was about sort of eleven or twelve, uh, he had quite a bit of success online and social media, and and ended up getting like doing self tapes, which were fine. I thought the self tapes were great because they'd be like, we want a kid who looks like this, who's the, between this age and this age. And uh, he, he would do the self-tape and that'd be great. But then we'd get into commercial uh, auditions and stuff. And I remember vividly one time uh, we would drove through from Stratford, where we are, to Toronto for this audition. And uh, it was like February, snowstorm. And it's, mm-hmm. it took like two and a half, three hours to drive into town. It usually takes an hour and a half. And, you know, white knuckled the whole way. You get in there. We walk into the agency and there it's like a cattle call. Like they, they have said, we want 11 to, you know, 10 to 12 year old uh, male, blah, blah, blah. And you get in and it's like kids who are like six all the way up to 19. And it's just like, it's like, oh, did you guys like, and then you'd, he would go in for 30 seconds. They'd be like, thanks. And then we'd drive three hours back to the snowstorm. That whole process. Have you ever done the commercial process yeah. like that, that audition process oh, at all? Yeah. And how do you deal oh, with yeah. it? Yeah. I, I mean, um, uh, I remember, um, the head agent of our agency, he's passed away now, Gary, Gary Goddard. I remember him saying, the job is to audition. If you get the gig, that's a bonus. Right. And and uh, so just I just go in with that attitude and 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 uh, the the way to survive it is to recognize that that your real job actually is to uh, impress the casting director, mm-hmm. right? To establish relationships with the casting director where they they see you consistently being strong and consistently being able to adjust and deliver whatever this script requires so that they have the confidence to bring you in for more interesting roles each time. And if you go in with that attitude, um, you can't lose. But mm-hmm. if you go in going, I want to get the job, then you'll always be disappointed and always feel rejected. And it's very easy to get discouraged. I mean, the thing about surviving as, a, as an actor is that so many people have opinions about the work that you do. The most important opinion is your is and and the only person who really can monitor your your the quality of your work is yourself. Mm-hmm. So you have to find a way to to put it in perspective. So that's mm-hmm. that's the thing is to to realize that auditioning is actually about establishing relationships with with casting directors and maybe a director and 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 just to do the best you can. I, I the part I found hard about auditioning um, was when. Um, when there were so few specifically Asian, Asian-specific roles, and then you'd mm-hmm. go into the casting room and it'd be all these people that you know. And when I first started out, there was such um, like such paranoia and such uh, sort of uh, this scarcity mentality. Sure. People would go, oh, shit, she's here. Fuck, yeah. I'm not going to get it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, am I not supposed to swear on your part? Oh, fuck, yeah, and, go and for it. it was really, um, yeah, it was a question of sort of educating our community to and changing the, the the value system in our community so that we cheered each other on so that you know the waiting room wasn't its own horrible torture chamber um, and recognizing that if we supported each other and all did our best and all did our best to support each other to do their best that that eventually casting directors and producers would recognize that our community has good, strong Asian actors and and have the confidence to write more roles for us. Right. And um, 
And I think I think that made a difference. And if nothing else, it made my life easier because it was just nice to be able to walk into a uh, walk into a casting room and be genuinely happy to see other actors who probably would get the job rather than me <laughs> and just be happy about it. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> actors are so weird. Actors are just so odd to me. They're just, I know. They're just a, uh, just, but strange you, you, creatures. So you don't, you, cause you do the comedy stuff. So you don't audition. No, like, you don't do the, no, I have like a, whole, a, I have like a yeah. massive ego and I was going to, I mean, I, I, I remember, uh, well, I have a massive ego. First of all, that's just the end that sentence right there, period. Um, but in that really weird way that it's like, I'm I'm self-deprecating, but at the same time, I would no. I'm not going to audition. You want me, or you want, or you don't want me. Like I sort of, it's it's you know. I think especially because I'm on social and I'm putting myself out there constantly. It's like, yeah. Uh, I I always get my back up, even if I'm doing branded content or something. And someone says, "We'd like to have a meeting with you to see if you'd be suitable." I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do a meeting with you. Figure it out. Watch some videos. I think you know. That's kind of how I feel now too. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is because certainly now. Uh, it's like, like Ricky Gervais, I remember him saying about auditions, he was like, I've been on one audition in my life and I'll never do it again. I'll just write my own parts and that's it. And I mean, that's obviously, that's you can't yeah. just use that as a game plan, but I get what he's saying. Um, and certainly in your position, I was going to ask, like, certainly you must now be like, you know, you know what you're getting. So this is like, why would, why do I, you should just be writing roles that you know I should be able to do, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. That uh, There's some of that happening, though. I don't know why, but right after Kim's, I got about four different scripts, little indie scripts from really, you know, interesting young filmmakers. But they were all like for grandmothers who are dying of dementia. Like there were three of them that were all, they all had dementia. And I was like, I'm not going there yet. I'm not, I can't go. If if I go there, I'm never coming back. Like, um, so. (laughs) Dear Ms. Yoon, we've been following you on your walks and noticing you. (laughs) Picking up weeds and also putting posters on raccoons and taking pictures of them, and that's what's well, probably why. Yeah, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start it. I want to start a, a group of 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 other public public weeders, and I want to call us <laughs> bitches with butter knives. And everybody has to bring. Do you take dog. a butter knife out to do it? <laughs> Yeah. You take, wait, let's back this up. You are, okay, first of all, I think like the picking up weeds, the occasional weed, I get it. I understand what you're doing. That's fine. And it's like, it's therapeutic (laughs) or whatever. I'm willing to overlook Uh, that. But you have left the house with a utensil that you were planning ahead. I'm going to go and get some weeds just from random place, public spaces or, or private spaces. I don't even think no, it matters. No, public parks, the the parks that I hang out with with at my with my dog because sometimes she just sits, she gets gets a stick and she just sits there and she just want to watch, she just wants to watch the other dogs go by. Right. And what am I supposed to do? Like, like I know, I'll, I'll bring a butter no, knife. I don't want to go on my phone when I'm outside. So, <laughs> but yeah, I go out with a butter knife and usually a plastic bag because sometimes wow. I feel like okay, I've pulled the weeds and I should probably pick them up too and then put them in the composter. Well, and um. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just you know what it is is that we have a soccer field nearby, and the grass is really nice and pretty right now. But the city hasn't been caring for it, and and the first five years that I lived here, my son was really little. That it was just a dust bowl. There was no grass. It was really sad. Right, and it took a lot of lobbying for them to to for the neighborhood to for them to put down grass. And then I see all these weeds killing all right. the all the grass. It was just starting to irritate me. <laughs> and so I was out there with my dog, and I just started, you know, 
pulling them. And then finally it was just like, oh, bring a butter knife. And then it was like, oh, I'll bring a bag. Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the bag part seems yeah, responsible. I, it, I like that. That's the responsible part of the, <laughs> the, I think I'm most interested in the day, the morning that you decided today's the day I've been thinking about it. I'm going to take the butter knife down. I mean, it's, yeah, that was sometime in the spring. Yeah. <laughs> During one of those pandemic, <laughs> pandemic wobbles. And you're like, well, we're never getting out of this. Might as well be weed free. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Stuart. It's like it's like my neighborhood. It's, I'm in the distillery district, Court Town. We get a lot of people who just walk through because they're on their way to the distillery, sure. and then there, there's Sugar Beach nearby. And we were getting at the beginning of spring during the pandemic. There were all these people hanging out in parks, and they were just leaving trash everywhere. And the parks looked terrible because there were weeds everywhere. And it just, I just got like, okay, this is the broken, broken window thing. Yeah. I'm just gonna. So I actually started by picking up garbage in the morning. And then there were other people picking up garbage already. And then that started to help. And then, then I moved on to, uh, and, and now it's way better. And then I just moved on to weeds, but I do probably have to stop soon. <laughs> Though it's, I've moved on to dandelions. I started with plantain cause it's easy to pull and it, you know, has big broad leaves that, it, you know, it, it, one plantain weed will, will kill a, kill a, like a, a foot radius yeah. of, of grass. And if you pull it, then, you know, whatever. But now I've moved on to dandelions, which is, that's where I'm starting to think maybe I've, and the dandelions that I'm pulling out now that, that, that it's a tap root. So the, some of them, the roots are as thick as my thumb. <laughs> so oh it's like, whoa, God. you've been around for a few years, you, <laughs> you know? The dogs love it because they think it's a toy that I'm pulling out of the ground. And then, then they're like, oh, there's an earthworm under there. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sounding crazy, aren't yes, you, it's, it's getting, <laughs> You're not helping. You're not helping at all. <laughs> <laughs> I need this pandemic to be over. I can't believe we've been... Our, I can't believe we're... Our government's been so stupid. It's been it's been <sighs> disappointing, hasn't it? Hasn't it been the whole thing been disappointing? And the you know I had uh, I think it was it was Amber Mack who said to me she's like you know have you not been does it not make you sad? And I was like it does make me or it doesn't make you angry. And I was like it makes me more sad than angry because I realize like when the the pandemic started. I really immediately saw it, not immediately, meaning like, you know, in January. So I mean, obviously when things shut down, it was like, oh, okay, this is now serious because it's now these huge corporations like the NBA or something have decided to shut down. Yeah. That means they're protecting investments yeah. and it's a serious deal. Otherwise, they're not going to not going to just turn off the, t the money tap for, for nothing. And uh, I was like, well, this is a war effort. This is like a full-on war effort now. So surely everyone mm. will come together and work together to battle this foe. Nah. I mean, the majority have done the right thing, and even if it's a slim majority, yeah. and then gradually we're tipping over the other people. But it's been it's been sad to sort of be like, oh my god. So this leads me to uh, one thing I was thinking about before I chatted with you today, which was one of the big things that was hard for me. Not really hard. Well, a little bit hard was prior to doing uh, comedy and being seen as this dad. Well, I'm more than just a dad character. I actually am a dad. <laughs> I have sired two sons, um, but uh, you know, being seen as this like grown-up dad character, I thought of myself as a little bit of a cool guy, um, and mistakenly, <laughs> totally mistakenly, and 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 really embarrassingly when I look back now. However. That transition of being like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay being seen as, you know, this 
grown up dad, you know, benign dad character. And uh, <laughs> I'm wondering, like, because you were, you know, when you contrast the beginning of the conversation talking about like things like the Yoko Ono Project and uh, the sort of evident, cool, badass version of Gene Yoon and then being seen as this like really lovely, you know, mom character was that a big was that an issue for you at all or was it was just like okay fine whatever it's a character i mean in terms of playing it um especially in the play not at all there was a you know i i i in a way that I, i've been studying i've been studying this sort of korean mom type for decades um and knew that that was something i was going to be i've been preparing yeah right mm-hmm. but um but what, yeah, once the show was out there, um, I really just promoted the show, and and the larger public has had no idea that I had a life before, um, a, like a creative life before mm-hmm. the show, and and the social media that that uh, the Kim's producers created about you know say Gene Yoon before Kim's, basically completely obscured or ignored the fact that I was a playwright. <laughs> 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 or, or an actor that did anything important before yeah. Kim's, which I mean, it sort of suited their narrative, right? Which, uh, which is whatever. But um, it's all marketing, I guess, is the idea. Yeah, but. it's a bit of a marketing thing. It's a myth building yeah. thing. Uh, and and at first, when I started onto social media, say with Twitter. Like it was weird because my Facebook page, like I used to use Facebook was for me to keep in touch with all my mom friends. Yeah. It was all about baby pictures and stuff. And then when Kim started, it was weird because it was like now this is this promotional space. It's really yeah. weird. And then and then Twitter was that too. And but then at some point I kind of as Doug Ford was was rising mm-hmm. to power and also with Trump, I just lost it. It was just like, I'm going to say what I want. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, that's the thing about watching, you know, following you on Twitter is that you're, you're not, uh, well, in a sense, I mean, you think of the character, I mean, you kind of, you kind of, you know, bring that notion to the character as well. But I mean, as a person seeing you on social, it's like, well, no, very active, very, uh, you know, aware, very, very, very much uh, willing to step up and state uh, stance on something. I think that's great. I, one of the things that drives me nuts about, uh, uh, especially in the past six years, about uh, you know celebrities um, and celebrity friends of mine is that some of them were kind of thinking, "Well, I'll just kind of play both sides of the of the fence," and it's like you can't. It's no. It's not. Yeah. It's not about. It's not I about economic yeah. policy anymore. It's like just like being a good person or being a total dickhead. That's basically it now. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I think it's the 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 time for for standing on the sidelines is um, and 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 expecting and hoping to be neutral is is well past. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is, I don't really feel like I have a choice as a as an Asian woman, as a woman of color, as an immigrant. Um, uh, there was a I I, I I I'm right in their sight line of 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 uh, some of these nastier forces so i i can't i can't afford to be quiet about yeah. some things and yeah and i don't want to yeah no exactly do you get a lot of abuse at all like do you sort of get are you a bit of a lightning rod for that kind of thing um 
You know, I'm really, I'm really proactive about reporting and blocking bots. Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, it, it, during during the uh, Doug Ford election, the the, uh, the Kathleen Wynne Doug Ford, I there were a lot of bots uh, that were coming after me, and also in the um, Trump years. But I just there was a period where I just was like. I'd put out a provocative tweet and I get swarmed with like nasty yeah. trolls and bots and I would I would go through I would basically it was like um it was like putting out honey to trap flies right, right? yeah and I'd yeah. go through the each one and I'd report I'd report uh, all of these different tweets I'd go through their accounts find the most offensive tweet and report that and and I I you know every day I'd be like ooh so you know three more accounts have been like <laughs> shut down and, and it was like yay and then they stopped uh, they stopped trolling me yeah I, well I blocked a bunch of them but uh, uh, I guess other uh, you know those those trolls are organized centrally like totally you'll have you know, one person running 12 counts and eventually they'll get tired. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think that's one of the better things about social media is that it, uh, I mean, there's lots of horrible things, but one of the better things is that it makes it really easy to spot the terrible people. Like it, it like they just, you can ease, like, as you said, you can lay out, you know, it's a, it's a fly trap. Um, there's a, a here, I'll speak to my culture. Uh, Billy Connolly, the comedian, Scottish comedian said, uh, you know, when he would go to these events, he would always wear something like a party or something. He would wear something really bizarre, just one item of clothing or a brooch or something that was really, really bizarre. And he called it his arsehole detector. It's like he'd know the first person to come over and go, look at those stupid pants you're wearing. He's like, okay, I know who not to talk to for the rest of the night. Thank you for that. And he would like use it as like a way to detect people and, and to pull them out of the woodwork. I think social media has got a little bit of that where you can put something out. And I think especially if you know that, you know, you put something out and go, I, this is going to get, I know the people that are going to respond first are going to be the people that I don't have to do anything. I don't have to contact or reply to or have a dialogue with whatsoever. Yeah. yeah it's phenomenal. Exactly. So here's another question yeah. for you. Um, as, as a playwright, um, are you, are you, do, you like, do you ever think to yourself, well, screw this. I'm just going to write my own thing for me again. I'm going to turn it into my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Been thinking about that a lot. Um, that's why I'm calling this year the sabbatical. I'm working on some things right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, both, yeah, it's too early to talk about yeah, it, yeah. but uh, definitely. I mean, that's part of, that's how the Okoona Project started, was very much like, um, I'm going to write my own thing. And, and yeah, it's just, it's just uh, after, after like the last 15 years of just doing other, pretty much just doing other people's work, mm-hmm. I'm out of practice. So I'm just kind of, and I'm sorting through all of my old files and and projects and kind of going, okay, what is there anything here that I still want to work on that's still salvageable, that still has a beating heart, and 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 here are all the new ideas that I'm sort of uh, playing with. Which one do I want to commit to? Because I'm old enough now that I know that um, once I start, if I'm it, how long it's going to take to finish. <laughs> like that's the thing when you're younger. It's like I'm going to do this. It's going to be great, and you have no idea yeah. how how long it's going to be. And if someone told you, well, it's going to be another nine years before you actually see that yeah. baby up on stage and, and uh, it's it's just it's going to get this many productions and you'll get published, but that's about it. Yeah. You're going to be really tired after. Someone had told me that, I don't know. So so that's, uh, yeah. De- I, I, definitely writing your own thing is, is um, one of the healthiest and most productive Responses to uh, bad situations, I think. 
For sure. And I think that it goes back to our conversation about auditions and how it's like, you know, I don't feel like you should have to audition anymore. I think people should be writing roles for you and be like, well, this is the role. And then failing that, I mean, I, I know, I think that's so oblivious. I mean, this is obviously, one, again, I have a huge ego. Uh, secondly, I'm an idiot. And then thirdly, working in social media, it's like I haven't had to, I don't, if I want to create something, I'll, well, I'm just going to create it. I kind of came to that realization when I was in my mid 30s. I'd be kept waiting for people to say, yeah. you can do something. And, in my mid thirties, yeah. I was like, I was really into music, and I was like, well, if I'm gonna make an album, I just, I'm no one's gonna tell me, hey, it's time to make an album. He's gonna make an album, and started down that process and, and working on it. And it's obviously it's led to lots of cool things and fun things, which is great. Yeah. Um, but you know, this notion of like waiting for someone to say, you know, this is if you've got the ability, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You've got the ability to write something, you know. If, if I was just going to harass you, I'd be like, you should just write something, write it. Yeah, I know there's a huge process, yeah. but at the same time, it's like, you can just be, you could write a character. I mean, literally crazy woman who pulls weeds or the weed woman or something like that. It's something about, there's maybe a little <laughs> joke there with weeds as well, like a little sort of, you know, cannabis operation type of thing with the uh, pulling weeds and there's some miss, you know, miss, you know, direction there happening yeah. as well. Yeah, and listen, I've got lots Maybe, of ideas. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of other thoughts too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a bunch of other there's a bunch of other good thoughts. There's as a well. bunch of other thoughts going. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. The, the weed lady thing, the problem with the the, the big downside of going that way is that you'd have to have animals and dogs in the show. Right. And that's just like, oh, do you really want to go there? <laughs> you ever, you've, have you ever have you ever shot with with a with a with a, a with a dog or a pet or an animal? Um, no, luckily they all died before we got into social media, so it all worked out perfect. So, uh, <laughs> oh man, I, I, there's a few times where I've worked with. Uh, I love I love animals, but like, yeah, sometimes the 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 animal wrangler is, yeah. <laughs> What's it was it WC Fields? You said, Just give me the treat bag, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always amazed at uh, acting animals like dogs that are on on like in theater as well, like that are like live performances, and they get sometimes they'll do that here in Stratford at the Stratford Festival, and they'll have like a dog that comes on for it's a, a scene. Really bad idea. It's a horrendous idea. I mean, I'm always impressed that it's, you know, good boy does a good job. But at the same time, as an audience member, I'm nervous. I'm like, oh, this is all going to go to hell. It's all going to go to hell. It, 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 it never works to actually make the show better. It's just the, this weird d distraction when the animal's on stage and half the time. And you know that everybody, all the actors on stage have their, their, their little uh, spidey Spidey yeah. sense up to make sure that the you know that the animal is okay. It's not it, it's not better honestly. Puppet, get a dog puppet. A dog puppet. Get a horse puppet. Yeah, way more interesting. Yeah. Look at war horse. It worked for them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they could just a tiny version mm. for a dog. That'd be fine. It would be great. Yeah. It'd be really really good. I have two more questions for you. Okay. Um, one one question. The first question is this. Tell me a really great tip. It could be about anything. So, for example, uh, Richard Krauss, his really great tip was uh, if you are trying to juice a lime for you know, a drink or something. Mm. Um, you get one of those clamshell things, like the, you know, I'm talking about the juicer yeah. type things. And people will normally just cut a lime in half, stick it on top of the clam thing, and then squish it down. He said, No, no, no. You put it on yeah. top of the, you know, before you put it on top of the thing, you cut off just the tiny top centimeter 
of the other side yeah. of it. So it's open on both sides. Then you squeeze. Mm-hmm. You get twice as much juice and you get more of the oils, which apparently mm-hmm. is a thing. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that was his tip. So you want a household tip? Oh, it, no, it doesn't have to be. It could be anything. It could be about weeds. Uh, anything. Nah, uh, weeds are... See, now, this has been good. I think this podcast has been good for you, I think, because it's made you realize it's shot, It's put a mirror up in front of your weed-pulling ways. I need to stop pulling <laughs> you, you just, This yeah, is going to be intervention. In spring, I'm, we're going to benefit from it in the spring when you see how beautiful the, the park at Esplanade and, and uh, Berkeley looks. You're okay. going to go, oh, right, that well, was because of Jean. We'll check um, back. Sorry. Diatomaceous earth. Diatomaceous earth. Uh, household tip. Yeah. Number one, diatomaceous earth also known as DE. So what it is, is is it's actually basically chalk. It's a white powder, but microscopically, it's, it's, it's actually fossilized um, algae and with really sharp tips. So if you, it, gardeners use it to kill aphids because any, if any, any insect with an exoskeleton crawls over it, it scratches their exoskeleton and they dry up and die. Right. It's non-toxic because it's basically chalk. Yeah. So if your kid ingests it or your pet ingests it, it'll just maybe kill parasites that they might have in their <laughs> intestinal tract, like pinworms. Yeah, that works. <laughs> but you can lay it in, like down on, it. you can lay it down, um, you, you know, under sinks and uh, where you get the creepy crawlies instead of toxic stuff, you can lay it down, you know, under the moldings if you have bed bug issues and mm-hmm. it'll kill, like it'll kill any bugs that cross over. And it's non-toxic. And seriously, there are people who, who mix microscopic amounts of it into whatever and give it to their kids when their kids have pinworms. And, um, and I, a food grade level of it is used to keep grains uh, safe, like rice and, 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 uh, um, uh, other grains, but uh, diatomaceous earth. That's my tip: is that everybody should have a little jar of it at home, and it's really dirt cheap. It's it's dirt. Um, <laughs> that's their slogan. So. <laughs> diatomaceous that, earth. It's dirt. That or the or the miracles of baking soda. Baking soda, I think, is just an amazing thing. Well, that was just kind of an extra added tip at the end. There, it was a teaser tip about baking soda. <laughs> But I like the diatomaceous earth. That was pretty good. Uh, here's your next question. Your next question is, imagine, you know, people get this question where they'll say, if you can go back in time to when you were like 16 or something, and what would you tell yourself? I'm not interested in that. I want to know if you could go back in time one year from today, and out of the ether, you pop in and you say, hey, it's me, you, from a year from now, do this. Now, what would that be for you? And to give you an example of that, uh, Brent Butt's uh, example of that was, I would go back to myself a year ago and I would say, buy the damn typewriter because he loves typewriters, but he doesn't, he's never had his own mm. proper typewriter. And he bought one like two months mm-hmm. ago and he's like, it's brought me so much joy, but I wanted it a year ago and I should have just bought it a year ago because it was like 300 bucks and wasn't a big deal. Yeah. So it can be anything like that. So what would you tell yourself a year ago? A, a year ago, it would have been buy the goddamn dishwasher. <laughs> I finally did buy one. You've been living without <laughs> a dishwasher I've this never whole had time. A dishwasher, yeah. You're an A-lister. Uh, you, know, you should have whatever. a. Or did you have a person before that? <laughs> no, no. I live in a co-op, and and there's no room to put a dishwasher, so it's a. It would have to be a mobile one, and I thought they were all ugly, and so, whatever. Um, but I finally found one. But 
I found one that I liked, but it's uh, it's on back order. So mm. um, apparently it's going to come in December if it ever comes. Right. Um, a year ago, yeah, I think maybe, gosh, a year ago we were shooting. We were still in the pandemic. Um, it would have been just buy the damn dishwasher. <laughs> I should have bought it a year ago. Well, it would have been here by now because it would have probably arrived in August. Yeah, or that something. that and I should have bought my son an alarm clock, like a really obnoxious one, a year ago. Because it works. Um, yeah, yeah, it works. <laughs> I think though his alarm clock went off, and I haven't heard him. <laughs> maybe it maybe it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you should have went back a year ago and bought a better alarm clock. A really well, good one. <laughs> well, Either that or yeah, yeah. Or I should have gotten a dog then. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Really fun. Uh, it was really great chatting with you. And uh, I, I feel your badassness has been affirmed. Yay. That's good, I guess, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. good. Okay, it's good. good. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. It's been okay. a treat to chat with you. And of course, it's always fun to follow you as well. And uh, people can find you on social media. Twitter is a great one, I think. That's and vice versa. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was really, really fun. <laughs> the Really Great Podcast is fueled by our well-caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. Don't get too excited because there's no actual club to join. It's just a weird name. I don't know why they chose that name, but they did, and they're called Club Coffee. The good news is they make delicious compostable coffee pods. You can find it at retailers across Canada, like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco. If you're not into coffee, sorry. Oh, and they're Canadian too, eh? Ah, that was so fun. I think one of the coolest parts about being me, this goon who makes internet videos is that I get to actually talk to the people who I think are really interesting and amazing. Like Gene. You sort of see Gene as like the mom on Kim's Convenience. And you sort of think, well, that's great. You know, she's really lovable and likable and really funny and obviously a great actor. And, and then you talk to her and you're like, oh man, there's like so much more to just that. I just love it. And I love talking to Gene as well. That was really great. I hope you enjoyed it too. And I hope to see you next time on the next episode. Thanks for listening.